Good morning. Good morning. Welcome. We are really excited. Thank you for the wave. Appreciate that. We're um, really excited that you're here with us this morning. Um, my name is Kara. I'm one of my husband and I do student ministry for middle school and high school. And so we um, are really excited to see your faces and the sun is shining. I'm just really excited about today. My family's here from out of town. So um, it feels a little bit extra like family. So this morning we're going to be reading out of Psalm 148. And I'm actually going to ask you guys to stand while I read this. And as I was reading this psalm, it's um, part of it, when you're saying praise the Lord and you're coming from a place of testimony or you're living in the moment of, of where it's easier to say praise the Lord, Psalm 148 feels really fitting. But when you're in a valley or you're struggling, praising the Lord can feel really challenging. And so I want us to stand together as a way for our faith to be to be built from one another in the faith of one another. But it's also a declaration and a prophesying to our spirits that even if this doesn't feel true right now, we are going to praise the Lord. And so if it's easy for you, may your praises build the faith of another. And if this is hard for you and if it doesn't feel true for you, may it be an opportunity to call to your spirit and say, we are going to praise the Lord even if it doesn't feel true. So Psalm 148 says, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. And he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree, and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures, and all the deep fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word. Mountains and all his hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth, and all peoples, princes, and all rulers of the earth, young men and maiden together, all men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised us, raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his saints, for the people of Israel who are near to him. Praise the Lord. And so, God, I thank you that in this space and in this moment in time where chaos can feel like it's overtaking our lives, portions of the world, where uncertainty seems to be increasing by the day, I thank you that there is a promise that we are going to praise the Lord today and tomorrow and forever and ever. And there is a promise that every tongue is going to confess and every knee is going to bow. That you have not left the chaos, that you have not left the hurt, but you are entering into the story. And because you enter and because your nearness is so good for us, in the midst of the struggle and in the midst in the midst of the triumph we say praise the lord may our souls cry this morning as we worship and praise and song may it be praise the lord for you are good 
and your love endures forever. In Jesus' name, amen. So what a beautiful way to transition to prayers of the people. Because as the people of God, we are the ones declaring that there is a king and that our God reigns. No matter what, like Harris said, is happening in the world around us, as we lament and groan in, with creation for the things of the world, we still declare our God reigns. So with that hope in our heart, we go into prayer and intercede for those who are lost, who are broken, who are suffering and in trouble. We carry them to the foot of our Father. So let's pray. Uh, for the universal church in your body, we pray that we would be of one heart and one mind, unified under the name of Jesus and pouring out his love to those around us. Would you hear our prayer this morning, Holy Spirit, and move across the world for churches that are meeting underground and churches that are meeting above ground. Will your name unify us? Jesus, hear our prayer. Jesus, make us one even as you and your Father are one. We pray for our nation and all those in authority that you would give them wisdom, a heart of compassion, a heart of justice, and the ability to speak truth. Will you teach us in such a polarized nation how to speak life and not death? Will you teach us how to walk under the banner of Jesus? first and foremost will you teach us how to dialogue and how to walk in justice and truth with humility and servant leadership we pray for the world for the things happening in every continent on this earth we declare God that you reign even though we don't understand the things that are happening Will you have mercy? Will you pour out your healing power on nations that are torn apart, on refugees that have no homes, on the sick and the orphans and the widows? Will you bring reconciliation between nations and races? And if there is something that has been on your heart and mind this week that you have been burdened with, that you would like to lift up, if you'll speak that out either verbally or in your heart now. For our local community, for Smyrna and Cobb County. God, will you show us how to live a kingdom way in a world that is caught up in consumerism and competition, image management and materialism. To live, will you show us how to have enough margin to live outside ourselves and our agenda in order to love others well? 
Teach us what that looks like and give us courage to do what it takes because God, it is so hard. We are so spoiled in this country. We receive the blessings that you've offered us in order to steward them for your kingdom. And finally, those who suffer and are in trouble, those who in our body and are connected to our body who are sick in mind, in body, in soul, who are suffering loss, who are grieving, will you be close? Will you be Emmanuel, God with us? And if there's someone's name or a situation that you'd like to lift up, you can do that now. We thank you that we can lift up our eyes to the hills from where our help comes from because our help comes from the Lord. Will you say that with me? Our help comes from the Lord. One more time. One more time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Josh is being humble. Um, he was awesome as a student in this class and actually received at graduation our Excellence in Teaching Award. And sometimes I tell my introvert students, you, are a, you can be a great preacher, a great teacher, you just send out your agent, you know? And if you're an introvert, you'll know what I mean when I say, but when that agent gets finished, you gotta regroup and get alone. Any introverts in here? Yeah, yeah, and God is great. He puts introverts with extroverts and we, we work together, uh, all of us together. And it's so good to be at River City this morning. You are a church of the light. Oh, my goodness, when I came in here, I, I, I just looked around. And I said, they have light. They have light. I have sort of a thing going on right now about the dark darkness. Like, why do Christians who are people of the light work, worship in the dark? I can't quite get that. Kind of like you take a garbage can, turn it upside down, and that's your aesthetics. You know, I'm just, no, 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 no. You got to do better than that, you know, just do better than that. So I'm grateful that um, you are a people of the light. And I believe this morning I have a word for you from the Lord that I've labored over. We're going out of the lectionary this morning into the book of Hebrews. And um, I feel that as I give this word, it is both a corporate word for the whole church where you are in this time, but it is also an individual word for each, a, a personal word for each of you. So would you stand with me as I read out of the word of the Lord this morning? The book of Hebrews, the book that talks about the better way, the deeper way, the more mysterious way, and the book that promises us rest. There's rest. There's rest for the people of God. If we are not disobedient to that word, we will be able to enter into that eternal Sabbath, that eternal day of glory, and that eternal rest. But until that time, we get to have our time of rest in the Lord. And I'm so glad that you are, are hearing that word right now. Out of chapter 4 in Hebrews, um, this is what the word of the Lord said. Today, if you hear his voice, they're beginning here in... Um, 
chapter 4, going toward uh, verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not speak later about another day. So then a Sabbath rest is still, uh, still remains for the people of God. For those who would enter God's rest also cease from their own labors as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter into that rest so that no one may fail through such disobedience as theirs. Indeed, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, uh, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And before him, no creature is hidden, but all are naked and and laid bare to the eyes of the one to whom we must render an account. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I have. I was listening to some of the podcasts that you have, and uh, recently the sermons that pastors uh, Josh and Sarah have been preaching to you. And I find that what I hear from them and what I hear uh, this morning from you is that River City Church is seeking a better way, that you're seeking a deeper way, uh, a way to be church, that is authentic, um, with, as I think you said in one of your sermons, with different rhythms, and that these rhythms are different from the phrenic life that we have, um, that even the, the rhythms of your worship here are not necessarily the liturgy of the rock concert, but there's some other liturgy, there's some other way, there's something better, there's something deeper, there's something more and there's something more mysterious. So this morning, I want you to hear the word mystery. I believe that God is calling you into the mystery, the great mystery. And this is a deeper space. It's a place where I think you have found it at the table as you have been coming to the table. The early Christians, and my husband's better expert on this, they saw themselves as being people of the great mystery of Christ. The Greek word there, mysterion. mysterion. Uh, Paul said, I am a steward of this great mystery that was before the foundation of the world. This mystery was to reconcile all things to God through Jesus Christ. So the early church saw themselves as the agents of the mystery, unlike the mystery religions of their time where there were people initiated and you get into ranks and certain people knew things and certain people didn't know things. This was a mystery of ever unending revelation and knowledge that everyone can have. So it's not like a puzzle to be solved. It's just like a deeper, deeper unfolding, uh, unfolding. And the deeper one, you take one step and there's something deeper. And you take another step. Oh, look at this. This is deeper. Go deeper and deeper into the mystery of God. What is that mystery? That mystery is that God has sent his son, Jesus, to reconcile all creation. For God so loved the world. God so loved the cosmos, 
that Greek word there, cosmos. God so loved the whole cosmos that he gave his son. This son, Jesus, is the firstborn of the mystery of the new creation. The mystery is that God is at work bringing about a whole new order of creation. This mystery is not that you get a ticket to heaven and you float in some disembodied thing. Uh-uh. Oh, who wants that? I don't want that kind of heaven. But this mystery is that the old order will be swallowed into the new. And there will be the glory of God as the waters covers the earth. There will be the glory of God. So that the whole created order will sing in harmony again. You and I were not there at the dawn of creation when the word brought forth worlds. And we did not get to hear the morning stars sing together. But we will be there when all things are made right and all things are brought before the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world and we will sing in harmony with all heavenly creatures, all created beings, worlds upon worlds, angels upon angels, beings upon beings, we will be in that eternal rest, that eternal mystery. Isn't that wonderful? We are people of the mystery. We are stewards of the mystery. We're living right now in the church calendar from Easter to Pentecost. And we're in the season of Easter as you're celebrating that. And we're waiting for this a time in which the Spirit is, is sent down. And you know what's wonderful about Pentecost is that it's a harvest festival. It's the harvest festival. You know, the liturgical color of uh, Pentecost for most churches in the States and in the West is, is red. But in a lot of churches in the East, it's green. Because this was a harvest festival. The Jews would bring in the first fruits of their harvest. <clears throat> and why did God choose to send his spirit on a harvest festival? Well, that's because it's the great gathering of all creation it's the flourishing of all creation. The pouring out of the Spirit is the first sign here of what's yet to come. There's a Talmud say, uh, saying in the Jewish Talmud about uh, 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 Sinai. Uh, Pentecost celebrates the giving of the law at Sinai, and it's a harvest festival. But it, it says there in the Talmud that when the law was given at Sinai, that it, Sinai burned. Hence, we get the color red. Hence, we get fire. But as it burned, it bloomed. Think about that mystery. As it burned, it bloomed. So at the pouring out of the Spirit, we burn and we bloom. We are not annihilated. We're not destroyed. We're purged. We're made whole so that we can bloom. I love that song this morning that you were singing about Jesus coming out of the tomb and coming out of darkness. And my favorite icon is the icon of Pentecost where you've got the, the disciples around uh, in this sort of uh, uh, circular pattern. In the middle is this dark hole. And, but out of that dark hole comes this king. And he's, he's aged. He's kind of worn looking he doesn't but he's still got some glory on him and that's the cosmos 
That's the cosmos. King Cosmos is coming out of the darkness at the time of Pentecost. So we're celebrating Pentecost in a few weeks, and it's the time in which we get to celebrate God's Spirit being poured out on us. And we are the first signs of what's coming. The whole world will be filled with the glory of God. I am filled now with the glory of God. Isn't this a great mystery? Just as the glory will fill the whole created cosmos, it can fill our church. We're the sign of what's coming. We're the, we're the seed of what's coming. And the song this morning about the tomb and the darkness and coming out of the darkness, and you think of the darkness as can be generative space if seeds are planted in darkness. The womb is a generative space. But then there's also the need for that to come into the light. And I was thinking of the blooming that happened this spring at Death Valley. You think of Death Valley, there's just arid desert there. But seeds have been blown there. And they get into the dark earth. And they're waiting for the flourishing time and the showers. And if you've seen the photos, just Google it, of Death Valley. It's just one huge mass of flowers. Isn't that something? That's what the Lord wants to do in all the created earth. It will no longer be a wilderness. The pale of death will no longer, as the prophet Isaiah said, hang over the earth. But it will be lifted and there will be a blooming. There will be a time. But then, before that time, we have a sense of what's necessary, what we have to know before that blooming. And we have the Word. Um, the Word of God has been <clears throat> victimized, I think, as a lot of us have um, in our own lives, by what I call the modern project or the modern world of disenchantment. We carry the virus. Um, I have ADD. Okay, I can admit that. I've had my Adderall today. I'm, I'm good. But uh, the world, ha we have another virus. We're kind of like zombie viruses. And we're all carriers. And I call, it, I call it enchantment deficit disorder, EDD. Uh, we have just been, and we have just been infected with this virus to where mystery has been stripped from the world and wonder has been stripped from us and awe has been stripped from us and that sense there of the holy has lost and the supernatural and we've reduced things to a manageable level. We've reduced things to just a naturalism. We've reduced things just on a flat level of that which we can own, that which we can control, that which we can objectify. We have just become people who have no sense of the sacred. Nothing is sacred. Our bodies aren't sacred, our minds aren't sacred, our words aren't sacred. And so we hunger, we hunger for that enchantment. We hunger to be re-enchanted. We hunger for that place of great mystery that which we are all going to and we're carriers into that. We have, I think we're, as Christians, I have that EDD virus uh, in me, but I also have this mystery in me. And if I could just let that grow, that spirit, grow in me of God's spirit, then I would be more of an enchanted being. And one way I find myself becoming enchanted is um, 
by going to the scriptures. But the scriptures, and this is where I feel like the Lord wants me to tell you you need to go in the, this, this next part of your journey, is that, yes, the table is a good place. It is the mystery of the Paschal Lamb. It is the gathering. It is the, the homecoming. It is the gathering in. But there's also another force at work in the mystery other than the table, and that is the word. And the word has fallen uh, prey to this disenchantment. Any of you ever had somebody tell you when they give you a Bible, this will help you with uh, learning to live principles to live by? And uh, have you ever heard that Christian worldview stuff? You know, get your Christian worldview lens on. And um, as one person said, we just put our Christian worldview lens on and we learn to think like Jesus. And I'm like, really? I didn't. You're talking about Plato or, or, or Jesus, you know. But we have taken this text like we have the whole world and we have made the Bible a flat, manageable landscape. We can dissect it. It doesn't matter if you're liberal or if you're conservative or whatever. You, we manage it. We weaponize it. It's the object. Sometimes I get a question like, you got a scripture I can use? Somebody, and I'm like, what did you just say to me? You're going to use, yeah, I need to use it. I got, a, I got an argument I got going, you know. And so I, you got any good ones? You got any good texts for me on that? That's scary to me. Like, no, I don't think you want to use the scripture. That's the word of God. It's scripturated, and that, you don't use holy things like that. So the word has become two-dimensional and flat. But what if it's more than that? What if it's not just that? What if we ground this, this book in the mystery? And I think that's where it lives, and that's where its station is, and its purpose is, is in the mystery of Christ it is grounded in what is the great mystery of God's economy of salvation to reconcile all things to God through Jesus Christ. And so the word of God is a way in which God's revelation is doing that reconciling mission. The word of God is more than scripture. The word of God was that which created. It spoke and, and it brought the worlds into being. It's the word of God that sustains all things. And we are held by that matter of the spirit word of God. The word of God came and became incarnate. And we call Jesus the living word. But beyond that, Jesus said to his disciples, I'm going away. Mm, so I got to leave you some help here, a, a word here. And I'm sending you the spirit. So whenever I talk about the word in scripture, I hyphenate spirit word, spirit word. The spirit will lead you into all truth. The spirit in the revelation of God brought about the canon of scripture. So what I talk about scripture, it is, it is uh, holy. You know, we used to put that on the Bible, didn't we? And I knew some old people, they never could just say the Bible. They'd say the Holy Bible. Well, that's pretty good. There's nothing wrong with that. Or the sacred text. So God has chosen what we would say is the Christ is the living word. Scripture is the inscripturated word. 
And therefore, for me, Scripture then has a status, a unique status there of being sanctified, set apart, fit for use to bring about God's great mystery. And in doing that, God permeates the Bible. God permeates the space of the word with his holy presence. So we study the Bible not just to get facts about God, principles to live by, three points, and that's it. We go to the Bible to go into the word of world that is God. Um, I'm going to give you some spooky language about the Bible, okay? I believe the Bible is a portal. I believe that when I am in sacred scriptural space, um, I am like in an iconic space, and that the spirit, it so permeates this, this text that it, the, it's not just two-dimensionals, it's multi-dimensional. And there is a portal opened between God's life and my life. And God chose scripture to be that portal. So that when I am in the text, I am in a sacred land. I'm in a space where God is. I am in the presence of the living word. I am in the life of the Trinity. And the Holy Spirit is bringing God's word to us through the text. And therefore, I meet God. I go into the life of God. I go into the world that is God. And it no longer becomes flat. You know, one of the things about this enchantment disorder is that we think we're the subjects over everything. But in this world, we don't get to be that. We become, as the book of Hebrews said, we, we become the ones who hear this word. We're the, it turns. There's a figure ground reversal. It turns on us, and we are being read. We are being studied. So I'm not the one in charge of this. I am just participating in it with the Spirit. And the more I participate in that sacred space and that sacred word, it's the revelation of God coming through the text to me, then the more as I participate in that, the closer I am drawn into the presence of God. I can be comforted there. I can be convicted there. I can learn there. I can grow there. I can know that I'm not alone there because it transcends. And this is another mystery. It transcends time and space. There's some fusion going on in the word. Time is fused, I believe. Past, present, and future is fused. And so that when I am there, I'm in a place and, and I, you know, we say the text has many meanings. Well, I'll go with the word meaning, but this is my preference. I believe the text has many dimensions. And oh, my goodness, it's unending dimensions. And one of my students just preached a sermon out of the horrible text of Terah in 2 Samuel of the rape of Tamar. And then I felt the Spirit pulling me into that text some places you don't go without the Spirit. And there's some text of Terah, the rape of the concubine and judges, the rape of Tamar. I don't go there alone. But the Lord took me there and said, I'm going to show you something. 
<clears throat> I want you to look at the voices. We're going to go in, Cheryl, through the door. I'm going to open it up to you of the voices in this text. I want you to look at who is speaking and what they say. And I'm like, oh, here is um, Ammon who's speaking of his lust for his sister, his friend who's telling him, it's yours to take, just grab it, you know, uh, trick your dad and your sister. There's the voice of Absalom, Tamar's sister, who says to Tamar, um, be silent. Um, he's your brother. Don't take it to heart. Don't report it. We've got family image. There's the voice, though, of Tamar. She's the only voice in the text of reason as she's talking to her brother before and after the rape. This is not right. This is not right. This is right. This is not right. And then I was just taken by the Spirit into the uh, book of Proverbs where Lady Wisdom is calling out. Who will hear her? Who will hear Lady Wisdom? She's calling out in this text. Her voice is in this text. But it's being overruled by some other voices. And she's not even being heard by King David, who loved his son Ammon, the text said, but not his daughter, Tamar. It's a grievous text. A grievous text. And there are places where sometimes you get there and you grieve. And you moan and you groan and you wait for something that's going to deliver. Um, but see that multiple dimensions? I'd never gone through that door of voice. Oh, there's the voices here. Who's talking? Who's what's, say, what's being said? Who has any sense about them in this text? Who's speaking up in this text? Who's silent in this text? What's being said? And then sometimes the one of the doors that's always good to go through is what's not being said. Who's silent? What's not being spoken? So I believe that the scripture is a very sacred portal into the life of God. And that portal has many, many dimensions to it. I believe then that the scripture is sacrament, sacramental. Um, we say that the table is sacramental because it causes um, that which the sign uh, points to. It causes that reality to be. So it points to Jesus, but the reality of Jesus' presence is in that. And I believe that the text is sacramental. It points to another. It, the reality to which it points, it causes it to be. It doesn't just describe a reality. It unveils a reality. It helps you to be part of that reality. So that when we're in the text, we're in sac sacramental, sacred space. Healing space. Saving space. Delivering space. That the text of scripture is, is got what we would call efficacious power to it. And I can't explain that power. I just know it's there, that whenever I hear that word, where I read that word, or that word is taught, or that word is preached, there's a power to it. And it's both corporate and individual. 
as an individual, I can be looking at the text there in 2 Samuel, and I am having a time in which I am studying and looking at things, and the Spirit is speaking through that text. But there's also the time in which it's corporate, where you hear the Word, where the Word becomes alive. When the Word is preached, it dances over the congregation and becomes not just flat, here are three things, just write these three things down. But it's not that. It's here's the word. And it begins to live. And it begins to go around. And it becomes creating a sacramental space. And healing takes place. Salvation takes place. That's the power of the word. That's the power. If, if it's spoken, if it's read, if it's sung, it, it, it's there. It's got that wonderful, wonderful power. So as you go into, after five years, it's wonderful. You're uh, another phase of your journey, and uh, you're entering into a time of rest. The writer of Hebrews says, enter into that rest, but do it faithfully. So how do we do it faithfully? By attending to the word. The word of Joshua wasn't attended to, so they could not go into the rest, said the writer of Hebrews. But we have a much better word than the words of Moses or the words of Joshua. We have the word of Jesus. And in that word, we can enter into that rest. So this is a sacred space. It is a sacramental space. It is a place of multiple dimensions, multiple doors. It's a wonderland of meaning. There's so many connections and literary connections, and it's like a wonderland of meaning in the text. And I, I kind of love to look at the um, chiastic structures, like the, the sandwiches, the closing and the, the beginning and the closing, and how things are, are linked together and comparing this and that. And, oh, you know, like the other day I got into comparing the Garden of Eden and the Garden of the Resurrection, and I was just going, comparing. Look at this. Wow, wow, look at this. And uh, before you know, an hour has gone by. Because I've gone in through some doors. I've started looking. And I'm not alone because the Spirit is there. I'm not alone because I'm in the presence of God. So it's not just me and my mind. I'm not that smart. I can't do it. I don't see things. But God is there. And God just says, come here, I'm going to open this door. Have you ever gone through this one before? No. Look, look, look. Look at this. Look at this. Have you ever seen this? And you could be 80 years old and go, I've never seen it. How have I never seen this? It's just endless mystery. It's just endless mystery. It's such a mysterious terrain. And look what we've done to the Bible. People would rather be on Facebook than in the Bible. People would rather be reading something else than in the Bible. But everybody hungers for enchantment today. Think about when you were younger and you got the, the editions of Harry Potter as they were coming out. My kids sat up all night long reading Harry Potter because they were enchanted by that. 
What if we could help people see that when you give them, as the Queen of England, when she received the Bible from the Archbishop of Canterbury, he handed it to her and he said, these are the lively oracles of God. So you hand your child or you hand your friend or you hand someone graduating from high school a Bible and you say, these are the lively oracles of God. Be afraid. Be very afraid. You are going to find yourself in some deep space, some deep mysteries. There's great grief here. There's the cry that Tamar lived her life, and this is the last thing said about her, a desolate woman. There's grief here. There's sorrow here. There's groaning here. There's people who don't see and do horrible things. But there's that great cord of redemption running all the way through it. And there's the Spirit. I believe the Spirit's work in the Bible is the same as the Spirit's work in creation right now. That the Spirit is grieving over the brokenness of creation. All of us grieving, with us grieving. But the Spirit is brooding. Unlike the spirits who brooded over the face of the deep waters. And, and it's not just a passive brooding. It's a stirring, stirring the wings, stirring the brooding of that waters. Going over the waters of creation, creating something that the spirit is now at work. Brooding and creating something new. Christ has been planted. The new creation springing forth. And the spirit is brooding over the whole created order right now. So the spirit grieves in creation. The spirit broods and the spirit transforms. The spirit transforms. We like to jump. We, we're, we like to jump, don't we? Just give me that transformation. I'll take that grieving and brooding later. That doesn't work. It just doesn't work. But I believe that's what the spirit works in the text. That it's grieving with us over our brokenness. The brokenness that we read about, it's brooding over the text. The sacred space of the sacred waters of the text. And then transforming. And so the, that way, the work of scripture is the work of God in creation. You see, when I said that it was set apart, it was sanctified to be used in God's economy of salvation, it's fit for use. It's human, yeah. But it's divine and human, and there, it's fit for use. It's been sanctified, set apart, made holy. Therefore, I know that it's good, it's perfect, it's right. And I don't mean perfect and like they can't find any little errors. That's crazy talk. I'm talking about it's been perfected in the economy of God. It's been made holy. And it's a wonderland. It's an absolute wonderland for us. As, we, um, as you go into the next few years, I think the Lord wants to do two things. I want to use the terms um, centripetal and centrifugal for you. I always get them backwards, so I hope I don't, Jack. Let me get this going here. <laughs> I wrote it down so I wouldn't. Um, I believe that the Lord wants to, you, to bring you around the table more. And that's that centripetal force. That's the force that gathers you, that takes you in. 
is the force that brings you into the family. And it, and it says to you, there's a place for you here at this table. It's the in-gathering force. Come on in. At the table, there's always room for one more. You ever heard your grandmother, great-grandmother say that? We got room for one more. We always have room. And the wonderful thing about this table is they don't have to water the soup. It's always there. And it's always enough. It's always enough. And in the end gathering of that centripetal force, you're brought into the family and you're loved on and people know you and Jesus is there at the table and you are there in this time between times uh, waiting on that great marriage supper of the Lamb, but yet you're getting to taste it before you get there. And even, even in the idea of the Eucharist being an eternally long table and that the saints of the past are somehow mysteriously there and that the saints of the future are there and you're surrounded this table by a great cloud of witnesses and Jesus is there in this really sacred, wonderful space. I can shout over that space. That's wonderful. It brings me in. It feeds me. It heals me. And there's so many people today who grew up without a family table, who grew up without the meal, who grew up without that, who were just so hungry for it. We have, a, we have a table. You have a table? Yeah. And we're all gathered around it. And we have a place for you. And it's a safe table. It's a sacred table. You won't be harmed there. You'll be loved on there. It's that wonderful centripetal force of God's presence, God's revelation. It's the imminent God, the one that is over us and in us and through us. But then, what happens if you just have the table? I've spent a lot of time with Roman Catholics, a lot of time with Roman Catholics and dialogues through the years. And I always feel like, I tell them, I say, you know, you kind of corral the Holy Spirit into the church and she can't breathe. Whoa. Open the doors. Come on, get some freedom here. Um, you know, it, it's, um, I, I, yeah, the, the, it's the Lord's table. It's the Holy Spirit who makes this happen. Uh, it's not you and it's, it's bigger than you and throw open the doors. You need a little bit of centrifugal force here, Right? You can smother yourself in the arms of Mother Church. I almost said that with Pope Benedict. You smother yourself in the arms of Mother Church. Goodness gracious, just come on in and we'll hold you here. Oh, I can't breathe. I'm a Protestant, you know. I can't breathe here. i got to get out. This is a lovely cathedral, but whoo, stuffy. That incense is driving me crazy. Um, but there's that force, though, that opens the door that brings in the air, and that is that centrifugal force. It is the force of fission, not fusion. It's the force that breaks things open, as Hebrews says, living and sharper and, tear, and, and goes right down and tear, right into the middle and, 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 and in a way that divides where we need to divide and cuts what needs to be cut and says what needs to be said and shows what needs to be shown. And that is the power of the Protestant word, the freedom of the Protestant word, that we set the word free. It is the freedom of the word. 
the word to go forth in power, the word that transforms, the word that convicts. It's that power that brings us apart. And I, we need to be brought apart. We don't just need to be brought in and loved on and all. That's good. But there's another love here. There's the love of hear this word. Hear this word. Hear this word. The ancient church said, we gather regularly and we value the prophets because we might hear our sins. We value them because they can tell us our sins. What a thing. All the prophets I know is you're highly favored. God's going to give you everything you want. Suddenly, there's a lot of suddenly prophecies out there. Don't go there. You know, it's all suddenly and good, and, and it's all just going to be great and better and better, and it's there to bless you and bless you. And Yeah, yeah, I know that. But there's also this word, hear this word, I have seen, and you are as Jesus is standing in the lampstands in Revelation. These are the things I love. But here, this, I have these things against you. Now repent. Now repent. Now repent. So the Christian life, not just that we repent out of darkness into life, but the Christian life is the penitent life. It's the life of turning, ever turning to the light, turning from darkness to light. I live a penitent life. I have been saved. I am being saved. I shall be saved. And it's that penitent life that's the fuel of that salvation. God is at work, you know, grieving and brooding and transforming more and more and more and more into the image of Christ. But the more and the more is brought on by the fuel of repentance. And that's where we miss it today. We think the more is just lavished on us because we deserve it. No, it's lavished on us because, yeah, we, we have been brought into a repenting community. And the more will be, uh, as that first sermon that was preached by Stephen at his martyrdom, repent so that the winds, refreshing winds of God's presence will blow. And that's the power of the word. It gives the refreshing winds of God's presence. It brings it. It just shatters things. It just takes it down. I love that. I love to be taken down by the word. I love to be so convicted that I'm trembling under the love of God. I'm being read. I'm being loved on. But I am being told, repent. Turn, turn, turn. How sad it is to live without that power of conviction over our lives. We need it. It's a, it's a wonderful feeling. It's a wonderfully, terribly wonderful feeling. It's the feeling that says, oh, God loves me. God's speaking to me. God sees me. Uh, it's not judgment. It's not condemnation. It's just this radical love that causes you to tremble. It's wonderful. It's glorious. God is at work, both in centripetal force and in centrifugal force, I believe, in River City Church. And I believe the next five years that the Lord is wanting to do some wonderful things here. He has brought you here. He has 
gathered you. Now, you can say, oh, I chose to come here. Okay. But I, I kind of, uh, the, the sovereignty of God sometimes gathers us. And we don't know we're being gathered. We just find it when we get there. And then all of a sudden, that community is formed out of that gathering. And we're more than just a gathering. We become a family. We become the community of God, the community of faith. And God has brought you here, and he will sustain you by the power of his word. I encourage you today as a corporate body, lean into that word. Lean into it. Hunger for it. But individually, I want to encourage you, lean into this. Open the door to the portal, the mysterious door that leads you into the life of God. And you will find yourself fed over and over and over in the delight of God's presence. And before long, it, everything else pales to it. It's not, well, I need to read some Bible today. Yeah, we'll, we do that all the time. But sometimes it's like, I'm, into, I'm finding something. There's something here. I'm on this trail. I'm looking at this voice. I'm opening this door, and I don't want to pull out. That's wonderful. So you don't just check off, I read the Bible today. Check off, check off, check off. No, you can say, I went into some really strange ground today. And I went into some space today, and I was there with God, and I was there with Tamar, and I was there with Ammon, and I was there with David. I was there with Absalom. Ugh. But I was into something. It was deep, and it was more mysterious than I can figure out. But God was trying to show me something here, and I want to hear that. I want to learn from that. Would you stand with me this morning? I don't know where you are in terms of how you understand Scripture. But I pray that you would fall in love. That you would fall in love with this beautiful, sacred space that is the Word of God. If our musicians would come, we'll uh, turn it over here to Pastor Josh or Pastor Sarah. Thank you so much for having me this morning. But I believe that God's going to bring you guys into the Word and the table, and one won't suffer at the fault of the other, that they're going to be held together, and that God is going to bring more into this gathering. There's so many people hungry for what you have here, your family here, your community here, your light here, the word here, the table here. It's a taste of God's coming new creation the flourishing that's going to come. And I pray that um, as we pray, the Lord would put in a hunger for you, a hunger in your heart for the word. Could we pray together? Lord God, this morning I pray for everyone here. I pray for this church, individuals who are here, and I pray for this church corporately that you would draw them into your presence, that you would draw them during this time of rest into your scripture, that your revelation would come. The word of God is there. There's the power of that word. I pray that you would lead into all truth, that you would lead into knowledge, that you would lead into deeper communion with you.
I pray you would open doors. Oh, Lord, yes. I pray that you would show what needs to be seen, that you would introduce yourself in new ways through the sacred text. I pray we would eat this word, that we would intake it, digest it, that it would become part of us. I pray that we would abide in the word and that the word would abide in us, that we become part of the word and the word is part of us. Oh, God, that we are known as people of the word. We praise you for that this day, oh, Lord. We praise you for that. Holy, 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 holy. Make way for the word. Make way for the sacred space of the word. Mm. Mm. In your Bible studies, in your groups, make way for the word. It's been marginalized too long. It's been put aside. It's been trivialized. It's been made to be of no meaning. But I pray, O oh Lord, that you would bring it back. Bring it back to us. Bring it back, O oh Lord, that sacred space that is your scriptures. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Dr. Johns. We're just going to create some space for you guys to kind of be in the talk and as they lead worship. If you would like prayer, we would love to have people pray with you right here in the front. Just for the next few moments, just create some space to kind of interact with it. So as we close, I just want to share with you all that you truly are a gift. Each of you that are here today, you are a gift to us. No matter where you come from, you are a gift, and you need to know that. And Dr. Johns and Dr. Johns, it's like Fletch a little bit. Um, we're going to pray over you guys if that's okay. And I want you guys to, to as, however prayerful you are, if you want to pray from your seat, that's fine. If you want to gather around and appropriately place your hand on his shoulder, I think that would be awesome as well. Uh, we're just going to pray into them. Um, and I, I do feel like I want to pray that God would return to you all that you have poured out years and years and years. Seminary students, churches, the church you pastored, all the people that you poured into that are, that are all over the world, which is all over the world. I want to pray that God would allow you to see what's happening, to have eyes to see what, how your input and how your leadership has affected the planet. And so somebody gather around, somebody reach toward Father God in heaven. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who told us about the spirit who filled these amazing people to share your word to generations. There are literally men and women all over the globe that are carrying the gospel because they saw Jesus and these guys. I pray that today they would be overwhelmed by the goodness and that that space that she mentioned would become more vibrant from here until the end than it has ever been. That there is even a deeper depth that they get to go to together and singularly and that the communities that you draw them to will be enriched, Jesus, enriched to fall back in love with the word, God. Those who have deconstructed to reconstruct under the mystery of God. Not under the flat line gathering of facts, but under the mystery of Jesus through the text. We thank you, Father, for them. I pray so many blessings. I don't even know how to pray it over them. Whatever they need in Jesus' name. We thank you, Father, for the gift they are to us today. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today, and please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.